You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited about this week's episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. So, we're talking about the concept of ministry. I mean, what really is ministry? We get caught up in this thinking that only certain kinds of activities count as ministry, right? You have to be on the pastoral staff of a church, or you have to be somehow employed by a church, or at least a parachurch organization, or you have to be an evangelist, and you have to have your your name on church signs across the country, you know, stuff like that. We get to thinking, that that stuff constitutes ministry. And I think that nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, there is a huge danger, I think, in thinking that you are not really in ministry unless you're serving full-time in some sort of position like that. The word ministry has a variety of contexts, and I think that to to think that it's tied directly to a specific vocation is mistaken thinking. So we're going to talk about that for a little bit on today's episode of the podcast. Now, it is true. Let's go ahead and get this uh, out of the way, first of all. It's certainly true that there are certain people who are called by God to do specific tasks that we often associate with ministry. Uh, There are people who have skills and abilities in particular areas that lend themselves to those sorts of vocations. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today and and try to work through this idea. Um, For me personally, I I have a goal uh, to teach you something specific with respect to this podcast episode. What I want you to come away with is the feeling that no matter what you're doing, you are in ministry. So I'm telling you right now, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. Uh, This is what I want you to feel. So you'll see if you agree with me or not by the time we get through the end of this. But I want you to feel as though you are in ministry, no matter what you're doing. That's the goal. So right off the bat, okay, ministry is something more than professional. It goes beyond being a pastor or being an elder or being a deacon for a local church. The word that is most often translated as ministry in the New Testament is diakonia. Diakonia. Now, it appears 34 times and it appears in a variety of contexts. And it actually appears twice in a particular passage that I want you to read. And this is very very interesting. So let's look at Acts chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. By the way, just so you know, um, you can go to steveshram.com and actually be able to find this post uh, right there uh, on the homepage for this podcast episode. And you can actually... Um, yeah, follow along with what we're saying here. I've got a, a basically I, I use the blog post kind of like a script, uh, although I don't talk you know um, 
Obviously, you can tell I'm not just reading it, right? Um, I use it kind of like an outline for me, but you can actually read through this blog post and, and get kind of the main points, and you can see verses that we referenced that I, I've quoted right here. You can get links as we go through. I, I offer uh, links to various resources. So, um, yeah, go go check that out. Go to stevestraham.com. Check the homepage there. You'll see the uh, blog uh, post that has the same title as this podcast episode, and just take a look at that and follow along as we go. And that way you can kind of see where my thinking is and you can get access to the other resources that I mentioned as we go through. All right. And so the reason I mentioned that is because I have Acts 6, 1 through 4 written out right here for you. So go check that out. And here it is. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Again, we're, we're right here at the beginning of the church, okay? And the, 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 the widows, the Grecian widows here, were feeling neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, now the word ministration that we find in verse 1, remember the widows, they said they were neglected in the daily ministration, all right? And then the word ministry that we find in verse number four, and this is where the disciples, the 12, are saying that we will give ourselves continually to the ministry, are the same Greek lemma, diakonoia. And again, uh, a lemma is just simply a dictionary word. So basically, these are the same word. They have the same meaning. Now, the issue of the passage here, what's being brought out is, you know, almost humorously, I think, smack dab at the beginning of the church, people are complaining because their needs are not being met. And, uh, you know, th certainly there's something legitimate there, but, um, you know, I, I do think it's kind of funny because we see this kind of thing, you know, somewhat jokingly, you know, in the church today, you know, we see, you know, people feel that people are be, you know, being treated unfairly and things like that. Uh, there's a humorous element to it from a pastoral perspective, but it is true that people have needs and they need to be taken care of. And so what's going on is that Christianity is spreading so fast and the disciples of Jesus were working so hard to minister uh, to these people and teaching the word that some of the other duties that they were responsible for were being neglected. So what they do is they, they, they put a call out to these other disciples and they bring them in and they ask them to take over these duties, these other duties, uh, helping the, the Grecian widows and certainly others in the daily ministration in order that they can continue in the ministry of the word. But does this mean that whatever the ministry of word is, is more important? Now, that's an interesting question. I think it requires some very nuanced thinking. So in one sense, it's definitely appropriate um, to think that preaching and teaching God's word is of utmost importance. I, I mean, it's hard to understand how anything could be much more important than the preaching of God's word in order that people could come 
to believe. It's obviously extremely important. First Corinthians 1 21 says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So obviously, the role of the pastor, the role of the preacher, of the evangelist was extremely important. However, it's also true that God's plan for bringing people to himself is going to involve ministering to others through service. Now, to see this, we really don't even need to look much further than down in the same passage. Check out verses 5 through 7. And the saying, again, this decision that they reached where you know we had... Um, certain of the disciples were going to be devoted to the ministry of the word, and then certain other ones were going to be devoted to the daily ministration. Okay, that's what we're talking about. That's the context. And this is verse five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Proturus, and um, Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So you see, as a direct result of this decision that was made, to make a distinction between these duties and to appoint certain other people to these duties so that some of the disciples could be directly devoted to the ministry of the word. Because of this decision, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. And even many priests, Jewish priests, were converted. I think this is absolutely great. And, and it's, it's, it's very telling as well that these other ministry duties need not be neglected if for no other reason than the fact that this makes provision for more time and dedication to be spent to the ministry of the word, which therefore increases the church. We see this happening directly here, all as a result of the fact that there's a wider definition of ministry than just being employed as a pastor. Grant Osborne uh, reflects on the success of this decision. He says this, and he is writing here in um, his commentary, Acts verse by verse. This is page 125. All three verbs in verse 7 are imperfects, stressing ongoing activity. The word is not just the gospel, but an epithet for the church as the people of the word. So it means the church kept on growing. Moreover, it did not just grow, it increased rapidly or kept on multiplying greatly, perhaps even more than earlier. Most astoundingly of all, a large number of priests who had replaced the Pharisees as the major opponents of God's people became obedient to the faith, another epithet for conversion. Scholars estimate there were between, get this, 18,000 and 20,000 priests and Levites, all told. That is a significant number that became Christ followers is a major sign of God's blessing on the church. Oh, well, let, let me reread that. That a significant number became Christ followers is a major sign of God's blessing 
on the church. The principle is clear. Every crisis is a spirit-led opportunity to surrender further to him and discover a newfound depth of strength resulting in an even greater strength of the church and an even greater growth of the church. Close quote. So these seven men who were appointed they could have chosen to complain, right? Because they didn't get to pray, study, and teach the word full time. And, you know, for me, I fall into this. I fall into this trap because, you know, I don't get to do that full time. And and yet there's nothing I would rather do full time, you know, than, than uh, spend more time in prayer and to be able to study and teach the word. And that be all I do. I mean, I would uh, fully adore that kind of life. But these men... They were obedient to their spiritual vocation, the thing that they were given to do, the job that they were given to do for the Lord. And as a result, the church multiplied. So I think the lesson here is is very important. When God's people are obedient, his glorious purposes are fulfilled and his blessings rain down. And my friends, let me just tell you, you know, that's what it's all about. It's not about the way in which you get to serve. It's all about the end goal. It's all about the end goal. It's about his purposes being fulfilled and and his blessings being on your life. If you are serving in the capacity that he has for you right now, then you are being obedient to the will of God and that is going to grow the church. Now, don't think that because your ministry doesn't look like somebody else's, it's not real ministry. It doesn't sound like anybody else's. It's not that is not the point. Okay? It doesn't it doesn't have to be like somebody else's. It shouldn't be like somebody else's. It's misguided and unscriptural thinking to think that that is not real ministry. You are in ministry, so start acting like it. Help where you can, bloom where you're planted. But of course, ministry is also professional. There are particular offices of ministry that here, even in the New Testament, are given for the local church. Somebody has to, uh, I'd rather say it like this, somebody gets to serve in those ministry capacities. And the job for these people is not easy. It's not an easy job to be a spiritual leader, to be an appointed, you know, spiritual leader and to be seen that way. So there is a great need for faithful pastors, deacons, elders, evangelists, teachers, etc. I mean, these are people that God has given a very specific job to do. Now, as we just saw uh, a moment ago, there are people who um, are gifted with the ability to teach and to preach and to shepherd a flock. These are special, I believe, called out people by God to do this. Now, that doesn't mean that they're uh, special in the sense of, you know, that to be a preacher uh, of God's word is some, you know, title of royalty or something like that. There certainly are people who have abused the role in the past, and I've witnessed that. I've seen it for myself. People who have abused that role and, um, you know, for some uh, awful reason, they, they use it to kind of exploit their uh, congregations and they, they use it for personal gain and to attract uh, attention uh, to themselves and things of that nature. Well, you, you know, that's not the kind of thing that I'm talking about here. You know, we, we do not want to get into that trap and fall into that trap, but we do still have to realize that these are people who have been asked by God with a holy calling uh, 
to do his work. You know, some of the best advice I've ever heard on this um, came from, I've heard multiple people say it, but the first place I heard it was a, a former uh, pastor of mine. And he said it like this, um, if you can do anything other than be in ministry, do that. You know, the people who are called to be in full-time ministry are those who just, they've, they've, they've got that burning desire in their heart. They've got that feeling. They just know from the Lord that there's nothing else that they could do um, and, and be happy. And if they did do anything else, they would be absolutely uh, miserable because they know that this is what God wants from them. All right? So um, I think that's really good advice for anyone who's considering going into the ministry, especially full-time. And you do have many churches these days that have a bivocational pastor. Um, you know, a pastor who is going to split his time between the church and between the work he does outside of church. And that's perfectly respectable. That is perfectly fine. Um, and in contrast to that, you do see many churches who employ an entire pastoral team full time. And this is an important point. Now, because again, some people feel less of themselves, some pastors do, and I've talked to them, so I know this, um, they feel less of themselves if they are bivocational, okay? And the problem with this is that they're missing an important distinction. This is this is crucial. Listen to this here. Whether or not they are able to devote their entire schedule to the ministry, and I apologize, I'm going to alliterate this because I want it to stick, Okay. All right. So whether or not they're going to be able to devote their entire schedule to the ministry, they're no less devoted in their station to the ministry. So whether or not they're able to devote their entire schedule, they're no less devoted in station. So don't think that because you have to go out and get another job in order to support your family, that you have to be less devoted in station in your ministry role. Because the Bible says that if you don't feed your family, then you're worse than a sinner. You're worse than an infidel, okay? You're literally worse than somebody who has not had um, the blood of Christ applied to their lives, you know, if we're getting really specific on the language here. So you got you got to provide. you got to provide for your family no matter what it takes. Now, there are different professional ministry stations, most of which are represented here in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So let's read this. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, um, distinction have been made here um, between roles that also happen to overlap at times. So let's look at uh, what Andrew Knowles has to say about it, writing in uh, his book here called The Bible Guide. The Bible Guide. Andrew Knowles says this, quote, Paul lists some gifts that help the church to preach and teach God's word. Apostles are sent by God to pioneer church growth in new areas. Prophets speak God's word in a direct and challenging way to particular situations. Evangelists share the gospel clearly so that people can understand and come to faith in Christ. Pastors and teachers are able to care for and teach local congregations. There are many kinds of spiritual gifts. There is a different selection in Paul's letter to the Romans, which is Romans 12, 6 through 8. But all spiritual gifts have the same purpose. This is important. Get this. All spiritual gifts have the same purpose to build up 
and strengthen God's people. Every gift is to be used in serving others, both inside and outside the church. Close quote. So, you know, again, we have this importance here on the fact of doing ministry well, of, of doing ministry in a way that serves others. And I get this because there's this huge temptation for Bible nerds like me and presumably like you to get caught up in debates, right? Uh, when we see things like this and we start talking about spiritual gifts, which we're going to in just a minute here. Um, you know, we start talking about these things like whether the apostleship continued, whether the same thing is meant by terms like pastor and teacher, or if they um, connote, you know, separate and distinct duties and things like that. You know, those are all discussions that are important. You know, if it's in the Bible, it's important. So it's a good thing to talk about. It's a good discussion to be had. But for now, let's just capture the wider point, okay? There are official positions of ministry, but just as the unofficial positions, quote unquote, they're for the purpose of serving the flock of God and bringing more people to him. That's what it's all about. That's what ministry is all about. Ministering to people. All right, now, I do want to launch into a bit of a discussion about spiritual gifts because I do think it's important to, to kind of have some context around this as well. 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, he launches into a very comprehensive teaching on this subject in the church. And I, rather than... Um, you know, read through the chapter and everything like that. What I am going to give you is um, Lowry's uh, summary of this. Lowry writing there in um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, D.K. Lowry, okay? Now, this is First Corinthians 12, again, a summary of the different kinds of gifts that were given here. Quote, the list here includes nine gifts. One, wisdom refers to insight and doctrinal truth. Paul exercised and expressed this gift in his in this letter and let me just stop right here uh, this is me now and say um, again if you want to follow along in the blog post he's got a lot of scripture references here that you could follow up on so um, I'm not going to read out loud to you all of the different scripture references that he gives in support of these points um, but they are there for you if you want to get it again just go to steveshram.com and you can follow along there okay so uh, quoting uh, uh, now Lowry again two Knowledge refers to the ability to apply doctrinal truth to life. Paul also exercised and expressed this gift in this letter. Three, faith as a spiritual gift is probably an unusual measure of trust in God beyond that exercised by most Christians. Four, healing is the ability to restore health and also to hold off death itself temporarily. Five, miraculous powers may refer to exercising demons or inducing physical disability or even death. Six, prophecy is the ability, like that of the Old Testament prophets, to declare a message of God for his people. Seven, ability to distinguish between spirits is the gift to differentiate the word of God proclaimed by a true prophet from that of a satanic deceiver. If the Corinthians possessed this gift, it was not being put to good use. 8. Tongues refers to the ability to speak an unlearned living language. 9. Interpretation was the ability to translate an unlearned known language expressed in the assembly. With the possible exception of faith, all these gifts seem to have been confirmatory and foundational gifts for the establishment of the church and were there for temporary. Close quote. Now, I know with literally with those last four or five words, you know, we could step into a whole long debate. I don't want to do that right now. You may disagree. Um, 
that you know which of these gifts was temporary, which wasn't. You may disagree. You may say that none of them were temporary. Um, that's a debate we're not getting into right now. Um, because to step into that theological debate would miss the point that I'm trying to make, okay? Um, again, it's a good discussion, but it's for later. While I do happen to think that many of the gifts here are not necessarily relevant today, uh, I also believe God can do what he wants, right? So uh, where I place myself then is into this uh, category that you might colloquially call the cautious but open category. Yeah, I, w- I want to say that I'm very cautious when certain claims are made to certain things uh, that have been reported. However, I'm also very open to the fact that God can do what he wants to do. And, um, you know, uh, if he wants to move in a miraculous way today, then uh, by all means he can. And that I believe this is uh, certainly evidenced by the uh, episode we just recently did on miracles. So absolutely, God can do what he wants. I'm cautious, uh, but open as well. All right, but now Paul's point here can be applied to ministerial gifts of all kinds. Do you serve on the worship team at church? Do you serve in the media ministry? What about the bus ministry or the nursing home ministry? What about the women's ministry? All right, the point is you're in ministry, right? If you do any of these things, you have these spiritual gifts, right? You are in ministry, Paul clarifies the importance of each and every role given to the body of Christ here in Ephesians 12, uh, 12 through 27. I am going to read it because it's very, very important, I think, to grasp. He says this, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, wherever the smelling. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, get this, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now this, again, this is just such an awesome, uh, I think, passage here from Paul. You get it? He's making our point, right? The whole point of this episode, Paul's making it right here in this little pericope. 
He's saying that, you know, we might think these little things to be less honorable. We might think the eye or the hand or the foot is less honorable, but we need them. We need them. And it's thanks to them that the others can even do the work that they really are doing. So ministry is something that you are involved in. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a role in ministry. Um, The task for you is to figure out what it is and to get going. I mean, what are you doing for heaven's sake, right? Are you stepping up in the areas that you know you can? Or do you just warm a pew each Sunday? Now, I've moved churches twice in my adult Christian life. And one time was an intentional choice based on um, multiple factors, really. Uh, The other time was due to relocation. Now, in both instances, I made it a point to let the leadership of the church know how I could help. I told them a little bit about me. And in my opinion, that's all it takes because there's no shortage of work to do. You don't have to insert yourself. You just have to be willing, able, and available. That's it. Willing, able, and available. And all you got to do is let them know in what ways you could help and they will find something for you to do. God has, I believe, appointed these folks to lead. And that includes spiritual leadership of you and of the work that you are being called to do for the body of Christ. And so if they're being faithful to their task, they can help you and should help you use your gifts and abilities for the Lord in the ministry of a local New Testament church. So I, I hope and pray for you that you can get plugged in. You can, uh, you know, if you do have this faulty, um, you know, idea of, of ministry where you think that it's only for, you know, professionals or whatever, you know, I I do uh, pray for you that you would think beyond that and you would start to really understand that you are a person who is in ministry and that all that's waiting is for you to find a need and fill that need. All right, well, I just want to say thank you for being a uh, devoted listener to the Bible Nerd Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to do that. And it really means uh, a lot to me. Now, uh, I would love to have some more reviews to read. Unfortunately, I don't have any right now ready to go. So I would love for you to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That would be really, really helpful for others who are looking for a good show to get great biblical content from. If you think that's the show, if you think this is the show that they need, then please show some love publicly in that way so that others can see that and realize that for themselves. So I'm really, really excited uh, about what the Lord is doing here. Tell somebody else about it. man. if you know somebody who um, either is a Bible nerd or should be a Bible nerd, tell them about it and get them here as a part of Nerd Nation. I would be so excited uh, to have them as we talk about the Lord and, uh, and just share good things um, about what God is doing. I would uh, I would really love and appreciate that. Now, next week we are going to be uh, talking about a question that a friend of mine and I have been kind of conversing back and forth about. It's the gods of Psalm 82. Um, Psalm 82 says that God sits uh, in the divine council and judges among the gods. And there are different ideas as to what uh, this could mean. Uh, regular readers and listeners may already know where I'm going with this, but I do want to give a specific uh, amount of time 
to this question of, of who were the gods of Psalm 82. We're going to talk about those on next week's Bible Nerd Podcast. I look forward to it, and we'll see you then.